The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American power, politics and society. On each episode, I will talk to an American expert or an expert on America about something that's going on in America in 2023. I am delighted to be joined today by the spectator columnist and brilliant commentator on America and Britain and much else, Douglas Murray who is in New York and has written a column in The Spectator this week under the headline, Joe Biden is not OK. Douglas, I thought I'd start by asking you, because people used to ask me what my favourite Joe Biden gaffe was, because there's quite a rich selection of great Joe Biden gaffes. But uh, recently, I've struck, it's, it's become what what's your favourite Joe Biden gaffe of the week? Because yes. there are so many. I noticed yesterday that he said he was talking about the war in Ukraine and he said Putin's war in Iraq, which I think qualifies as my favourite of the week. But he did another end quote thing, which is when he reads out from the teleprompter and says, uh, you know, finishes his the, the thing and then reads out end quote. He's not okay, is he? And it's very, very odd that we're all pretending that he is, or a lot of people are still pretending that he is. Well, yes. I mean, there's there's two ways you can you can deal with it one is what the democrats have always said which is joe biden's always been vaguely incomprehensible and there's quite a lot of truth to that actually um if you look at his record is you know peak season biden biden in absolute top season form was always slightly incomprehensible remember the the clarence thomas confirmation hearings where Joe Biden thought that he was sailing through <laughs> law and philosophy and much more and was floundering like a drowning man, but did, was the only person who didn't seem to realize it. That was peak Joe Biden. So, so some people around him say, well, no, come on, it's, it's no worse than it's ever been. And sometimes they also remind us once again that he had to overcome a stammer as a young man um, because his is a life of overcoming adversity, as we know. And um, and and that that's the explanation for the sort of some of the weird misspeaks. I mean, I give the example in the column. I mean, there's so many you could choose, as you say, it's become a daily thing. I give the example in the column of the press appearance last year with the, the then newly appointed Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown Jackson, and uh, Biden was flanked by Jackson and also Kamala Harris. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, and he he said it's but my own personal favorite Bidenism is that he said um, America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. You could see Kamala Harris staring ahead in a steely way, um, knowing something appalling could be about to happen. And sure enough, Joe Biden, after saying America is a nation that can be defined in a single word, said, and I think I've got this phonetically correct, I was a fatum, fatum, excuse me, Himalayas. (laughs) Not everyone knew what he meant, but that, that, that they say when he does things like that, oh, you know, he he overcame a stammer, and this is yet more you know, evidence of that. 
it, what's harder to explain is, is, as you say, the sort of increasing oddity of some of his public pronouncements. And one doesn't want to get into elder abuse, but he is the man who's decided to put himself forward once again for the presidency. You know, last week, I mean, he finished a speech by saying, God save the Queen. And it wasn't remotely, I mean, and I mean, the only thing better than watching Biden doing this is watching the courtiers trying to explain it. Uh, when his press secretary was asked, you know, what he meant, she, she, I mean, she doesn't have an answer, but she has to sort of pretend this is normal. And as you say, it's far from normal. I mean, what do you say? He was making a joke about the dead queen. Uh, he thinks the queen's still alive. Uh, he thinks America is still part of Britain. I, I, I mean, what? Where to start? What's the best explanation? There isn't one. And, and, and everyone around him is floundering desperately uh, to just excuse this away. And I, I think it shows an incredible cowardice about the people around him, as well as a wider cowardice in the Democratic Party. Well, yeah, and actually, I think I would say that the gaffes are odder now because they, they I mean, yes. a Democrat put it to me quite well. He said Biden's in a better position now because his cognitive fastball has slowed down so much that he doesn't make the kind of gas that he used to. Like you talked about the Clarence Thomas thing. He's not so confident in his speech that he doesn't just gab That's on right. endlessly. And as a result, yes. he doesn't... He doesn't do the thing he used to do, which was uh, the most common Biden gaffe, was, was, was a very common one among politicians, it has to be said, which is the polishing and buffering up of a story to make himself more heroic than he actually was at a particular moment. And you, and he used to do this with everything from pretending that in the 1950s he was wildly pro-gay, which I don't think is the case, but he has a story about that, a sort of origin story about his father and that. And civil rights. And all the way from that to, you know, the, the one of the famous Afghanistan stories he had, which was a sort of smashing together of lots of things where he said you can risk the life of a vice president but not another American soldier or something. It was just a combination of things. The point is, is that that's what he used to do, which was just polishing his, his stories from the past and making himself more heroic. As you say, there's something else happening now. Uh, and something you touch on in your piece is this, the fact that when Democrats do it, it is treated differently. Oh, yeah. George W. Bush was famously quite gaff-prone, Reagan had quite a few slips, particularly in his second term. Obama made mistakes too, but he was he was a more fluent speaker than Biden. And yet they are sort of, they're picked up by Fox News, they're picked up by the Republican Party's social media channels, they're picked up by Trumpists and so on. So it's not as though these gaffes are going unremarked upon, but they are certainly played down. And the only yes. talk you hear about Biden in the Washington Post and New York Times and so on, is actually he's firing on all cylinders still. And you'd be surprised at how alive and well he is. Yes. It's not good. And it's not good because there are so many people at the top of the Democratic Party who, as I point out in my column, are similarly or differently maybe uh, cognitively challenged. And again, I mean, I'm, I'm not doing this for gags. I mean, you know, Senator Dianne Feinstein was recently wheelchaired into the Senate at the age of 90, looking awfully close to death, uncomfortably close to death. And uh, she's, she, the press have basically been told, please, not to communicate with her. She seems not to know that she has 
been absent from the Senate. That's one of the things we do know, is that she doesn't seem to be aware that she hasn't been there, which is, is very troubling. Uh, so that, that, that's uh, one of their older senators. She's been a senator, representative for California since 1992. Um, uh, but, I mean, look at one of the most recent uh, members of the Senate for the party, which is uh, Senator John Fetterman of Pennsylvania. Now, the, this poor man uh, in his 50s uh, had a massive stroke just before the, the, the party's primaries last year, to such an extent that his own wife had to deliver his victory speech because he couldn't speak. And he has been effectively wheeled into the Senate, having been the, the party refused to replace him at such a late stage. Um, they, they ran him anyway. He, he beat Dr. Oz, which says something about Dr. Oz, um, the Republican candidate. Um, but, you know, uh, Fetterman gave a speech last week when the I-95 uh, highway reopened after terrible accident, uh, rather amazingly swiftly uh, mended. And uh, Fetterman, the local senator, was wheeled out to, to say a few words. And he was standing there beside Joe Biden because they both wanted to take some credit. And poor Senator Fetterman seemed to be rather surprised to find this man, the president, beside him. And at one point described the president as a collapsed bridge, which was unfortunate, but strangely apposite. And Fetterman, poor man, went on to talk about working with a delicate dictation uh, to work on infrastructure and on top of that, the dual kind of a law of the infration bill. And I've, I've just tidied that up, uh, what I've just said. That's a tidied up version of the transcript. This is not good. Uh, um, why, why, as, as you say, Freddie, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the oldest, longest running jokes. One of the snottiest sort of British jokes about Americans is, you know, particularly right wing Americans. They, they have these, these silly leaders who can't speak and all this sort of thing. And, and actually, um, the big story is why has the Democratic Party got so few representatives capable of addressing the nation? I mean, what's going on? Well, I was thinking about this after reading your piece, and I think it may be something to do, and I'm sure you can elaborate if I'm right or wrong. It's maybe something to do with the fact they're increasingly divorced from reality, and language is a way of speaking about reality. And the, when you have the, the, the Democratic Party, and Nancy Pelosi is another good example of somebody who yes. just talks gibberish, because yes. you can only talk gibberish if what you're representing is a very vague critical race theory, trans ideology. Everybody knows it doesn't make sense. Everybody knows it doesn't appeal to the electorate, but we're going to sort of impose it anyway. And we're going to use words like equity. And I find it very funny when Joe Biden uses the word equity because he clearly has no idea what it's even meant to mean, yeah. let alone what it means. And so I wonder whether that's why you, know, you do get re younger Republicans who still speak in English and the best democratic example of a, someone who's fluent is Pete Buttigieg, who, again, is not that fluent. He's just not completely potty. Yeah, uh, Gavin Newsom is showing himself to be pretty good at the moment, which is no accident. Um, you mentioned Nancy Pelosi, by the way, and that, that, that in a way, this, this goes to the root of the issue. Now, Nancy Pelosi is now 83, and this is no insult to any 83-year-olds. Many 83-year-olds very cognitively capable, of course, but um, uh, Nancy Pelosi isn't one of them. And certainly she uh, she approaches 
like the other senior Democrats I've mentioned, she approaches the English language with a, a, an odd attitude as if it's a sort of assault course. Uh, and in her case, that's because it's an assault course of ideas. I mean, remember, this is a woman who appeared after the conviction of Derek Chauvin for the, the killing of George Floyd, appeared on the steps of the Senate, looked up in the air to the clouds, presumably to the heavens, and said, thank you, George Floyd. Thank you for giving your life for justice. As if George Floyd had set out to the pharmacy that morning, aiming to do something big for his fellow Americans and, and hoping to lay down his life for a meaningful cause. This was so tin-eared on the part of Nancy Pelosi. But these are people who don't know what to do. And the, the, the real... A terrible open secret of the Democratic Party and the gerontocracy of that party. And the thing of putting people like Federman Ford and just not risking it is because the party is, like all successful political parties, incredibly good at holding on to power when it has it. It's devastatingly good. We know that apart from anything else from the DNC leaks of how they got Bernie Sanders out of the way. And, and so on. It's desperately good at holding on to power to the extent that they will put a stroke victim through into the Senate, put, put a, a woman who's not aware she's there into the Senate. You know, why do they do this? My explanation is it's because Joe Biden and, and Pelosi and that generation, all the things that can be said about them, are among the, that type of politician who is uh, who operates like a palm tree. Nothing grows underneath them. They haven't been any good at nurturing the generation beneath them. Look at the people around Biden. There are some very capable people. Some people would disagree with this. I mean, Anthony Blinken seems to me, one might disagree with him, but he's a, he's, a, he's a capable politician and a very intelligent man and a very fluid man. The American public haven't seen Tony Blinken uh, for the last three years. I mean, they've seen almost nothing of him. He should be out there, center, safety of state. You know, I mean, what's not to see? Uh, he's, he just doesn't get any airtime. He, he doesn't seem to get any direction from the president, by all accounts. And, and so the, the public don't know about him. They haven't had a chance to see him. That's a very Biden-Pelosi-era issue. All the attention, all the praise, all, everything has come up to them. Well, the result of that is, and this is the real problem for the party, the result of that is that you go a generation below them and there really isn't very much talent, which means, and they know this very well, which means effectively after that generation loses its grip and the grip is, is the last grip is Joe Biden, it means you tumble down two generations. And if you go down two generations in the Democratic Party, it gets awfully radical, awfully fast. And the people at the top, the gerontocracy, know that the, the, the youngest generation Democrats are just box office poison to the wider American public. They will not win. They are not centrist. They're not capable of talking in a centrist way. We get into the defund the police generation effectively. And that stuff, is political poison. Well, that was a figure I wanted to ask you about, was, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is, to me, and I think to you as well, deeply annoying in the way she talks, but she is eloquent. I think we can give her that. Yes. She's able to talk. 
it's, 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 it's why, I mean, why would we know, why would anybody internationally know a junior member of Congress? I mean, I mean, she's not an important political figure and yet has become so by dint of her eloquence and the extremism of her stances. And the combination of those two things is what gets her the airtime. There's no way we would be talking about a young member of Congress otherwise. There's plenty of people in Congress. But she has the eloquence of, a, of an autodidact. Which oh, is a course, which yes. is a thi- which is a thing, you know. If if you don't think about anything other than your own thoughts, you can be quite eloquent. Um, yes, I mean, she certainly doesn't know how to listen, and even her uh, eloquence is um, a, a sort of parasitic eloquence. I mean, she she adopts certain personas. She has a she has a um, a, a, a black um, Sunday preacher uh, gear, for instance, that she can go into at times. And, and other things. You can hear that when she, when she shifts, but she's undoubtedly very eloquent, I and mean, that's not a problem. But the problem is that her, her attitudes would, would, would if, they were, if they were normal in the party, and, and thank goodness they're not at the moment, but those sort of radical squad members, although they suck up a lot of airtime and are very useful for the Republicans in the same way that Marjorie Taylor Greene and the sort of Republican squad are very useful for the Democrats, the squad doesn't have any serious political power. What it does have is ideas of a kind. They're very radical ideas, and so as a result, they get a lot of attention. They suck up a lot of oxygen from the, the more mainstream members of the party. And, and as you say, there's sort of autodidacticism, which, I mean, on things like green issues, which, which get a lot of attention, but they are, again, I mean, they are, they're political poison. Also, there's the hopping while you talk, which I think is actually helps yes. eloquence. If you if you want, but yes. Douglas, I know you're running out of you're running out of time. You've got to go. But so I thought I'd end by just this may be quite a difficult question to end quickly on. But there's a theory going around in Washington and in New York, and I'm sure you know about it that the Hunter Biden story will eventually be used by Democrats to park Joe Biden. That's right. uh, and this scandal has been growing for the last few weeks, uh, and you are seeing some media that haven't touched the Hunter Biden scandal starting to take an interest with it. In it, yes. do you think it's credible that in the next few months Democrats are going to actually jump on board this scandal and say maybe Joe Biden it it does need to take some responsibility for the fact he seemed to have been working with his son? at a time when his son was selling out America's national interests? Uh, this is a very difficult question to answer because even more than any other issue, it's one where you have to separate out what you wish would happen with what will happen. Uh, my wish would be that, yes, the Hunter Biden story is finally recognised. I should declare an interest. I write a column for the New York Post. And of course, the New York Post is, a, is the paper that broke the Hunter Biden story. I've been immensely frustrated by the way in which the Post uh, um, has been uh, treated uh, in this story, uh, that people like the Washington Post and others who have just sort of slowly started to recognize in the last six months that the New York Post broke an extremely important story in 2020 when it was also suppressed, of course, by social media and others. Um, I'm pleased to see these papers finally recognizing this is a story. And it should be a huge scandal, not because of any of the personal life stuff, which is, you know, tittle-tattle or otherwise, depending on how serious, you know, serious 
you regard these things. But I mean, that not that is not to me and never was. The sex and drug stuff was never to me the story. The story was all these emails uh, making it clear that Hunter Biden was influence peddling and making money for his father as well. And we've known this, I mean, you know, for, for several years now, uh, coming on for three years. And, uh, you know, Miranda Devine wrote an excellent book on it. And this has all been out there. And it's very frustrating that so much of the media has covered it over. You're right that there's this constant thing of maybe at some point, you, it, the Democrats will use it to get Biden out of the way. You'll notice that actually happening when, not when Democrats start saying anything, but when they start um, uh, stopping throwing bollards in the way of the Republicans uh, in the House looking into this. If they start to not actively try to stop the investigation, that's the first sign that the, 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 the dam is breached. And I, I think we'll see that. Uh, um, I'll tell you why. But this is Going out on a limb, my prediction is, is that Joe Biden will not actually be uh, the, um, the candidate that the Democratic Party puts up for president next year. Um, I think they are too aware that there is too much of a risk, and that they they can't they can't we they can't run a candidate who is only ever one footstep away from literal disaster, and they can't run a, a vice president under him with some of the worst approval ratings of anyone. In fact, she's got worse approval ratings than Dick Cheney after Dick Cheney shot his lawyer in the face. Um, I, I mean, her, she's... Kamala Harris is really not popular. Um, and uh, so they know they can't do this, but how do they get them out of the way? Gavin Newsom, who I mentioned earlier, is obviously running. He's been doing things like appearing on Sean Hannity for a, a good grilling, which he would never have done if he was not putting himself forward for presidency. He's made pronouncements about the Second Amendment and reformed the Second Amendment. He wouldn't be doing that if he's just intending to remain as governor of California. Um, so Gavin Newsom is obviously running and is a pretty plausible candidate. This is the challenge for the Democrats. How do you get both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris out of the way? And most people think with Joe Biden, it is... You've got to do it in a dignified way that's respectful to him. But behind the scenes, it'll be uh, leave now quietly and in a dignified way. And we won't uh, we won't go after Hunter more. Kamala Harris, it's tricky. And the most plausible uh, explanation I've heard of that is um, that although there's not an available seat on the Supreme Court, the Democrats could persuade uh, um, one of the judges to retire. Um, earlier than she otherwise would, and that Kamala Harris could be slipped into the Supreme Court. You can't uh, um, allow her to run because effectively if Kamala Harris ran for the presidency, almost anybody would win uh, on the Republican ticket. Um, and uh, But you can't, again, you can't dishonor her. Um, she, she can't be seen to have been insulted, not least because she's the first female vice president, the first female minority, ethnic uh, vice president. So the, the Democrats have, I mean, we, we often talk about the, the, the tightrope walk that the Republican Party is on, and it certainly is. But the Democrats are on a pretty 
tricky trajectory themselves, they've got to pull off several very, very tricky maneuvers. And they've only got, uh, what, 16 months to do it in. Douglas, it's fascinating to talk to you, as always. I just find it amazing that a scandal is not a scandal until the Democratic Party decide that it's useful for it to be a scandal. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, everything that Hunter Biden has pled guilty on so far um, is stuff that would get anyone else years and years in jail. And that's before you get on to any of the actually serious stuff. Well, maybe for another time. Douglas, thank you very much for coming on to Americano. Great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to the Americano podcast. I would like to thank my brilliant producer, Natasha Faroz, and the rest of the Spectator's broadcast team. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Thank you very much. God bless America. <laughs>